Amen. Wow. And what else? I'm missing something else. It's in my back pocket. There we go. Thanks, says. Thanks, Joanne. You got it all up for me, all ready to go. So we're in a, a new series, yeah? We started a new series last week called Driven by Eternity. Um, who was here last week? Yeah? Okay, put your hand up if you weren't here last week. I'm not going to embarrass you. It's okay. All right, you guys are all going to be hits on our Facebook page this week because Cesar got the message up for us last week. And um, you can catch up and, and know where we're up to. So uh, we're working through this book called um, Driven by Eternity, uh, Make Your Life Count Today and Forever, uh, a, a book written by John Bevere. And uh, it's not about the book in a sense, but it's about the message that God wants to speak for us now. I'm so excited about this series. And, and this is not fake at all. This is actually something that I've been building towards probably for 12 months. And uh, that God's been just touching my heart and speaking to me about. And he's like, I want you to share this message with the church. So we started going through a journey as the pastors where we started to read the book and go through some of the studies together. And uh, we, we were able to thrash some of it out. And, and like I say, John sometimes writes some things that are in your face. He sometimes challenges you with, with words out of, the, out of the, the scriptures that make you go back and challenge how you view the things of God and um, and I think it's been a fantastic journey for us and uh, it's one now that we believe that <clears throat> so God's moved let me say how important this series is for us okay God moved missions month back to October September sorry so that we can have it driven by eternity this month how cool is that yeah I think that's pretty cool. Um, I don't know if James and Mary think that's pretty cool, um, but I, I know that they're blessed by that because it gives them a little bit more time to, to, to create an awesome missions month uh, for us. Amen. So um, uh, keep praying for missions month because it's going to be a fantastic time in September and uh, we'll let you know more about that as we come. But Driven by Eternity. So welcome to week two of this series, Driven by Eternity. Make your life count today and forever. You know, forever is a long time. Well, last week we discussed eternity itself and that how the mind can't grasp um, the word eternity, let alone the concept of eternity. And, uh, and, and, and yet the, the Word of God declares that God has put eternity within our hearts. So it's not something to be grasped with the mind. It is actually something that we can only grasp with the Spirit. And it's something that God has placed in there. And therefore, uh, the word declares only the fool says that there is no God in his heart. Because that's where God has placed this, um, this idea of eternity. And when we understand eternity, we understand that there's someone behind the concept of eternity. And his name is God. Now, our aim over this series is to build a life of eternity or a life of eternal significance by developing and using godly wisdom. Uh, something I want us to remind us of this week is this statement. Um, I should have already been here. But I'm going to live a Christ-filled life to the fullest now so that I can live an even fuller life then. Do you understand that concept? I'm going to live a, a, a God-filled, God-centered, God-fearing life right here, right now in the life that God's blessed me with so that I can have an even more blessed um, experience in the eternity to come, that which we have been called to. So today we are looking, I want to go back. Why are you not going back? It's going the wrong way, says. There we go. 
I want to go back. I just want to introduce today's title. Today's title is The Eternal Home of the Dead. And like I said, I'm pretty excited to be talking about this stuff. But today might sit a little bit heavy for some of us. Is that all right? But we're going to come out of this knowing that God is real. We're going to come out of this knowing that God has provided a way for you and I that we can come into his presence forever. So it might sound like it's going to be a bit of a drag. Uh, For some people it might be, but for us, we're looking forward to it with expectation. Amen? Amen. So we're looking at this. I'm going to live a Christ-filled life to the full now so that I can live an even fuller life then. All right. What will guide and motivate our lives? Will it be the temporal or the eternal? The question that we have to weigh up throughout this series, am I going to be, am I going to be guided by what feels good now, what looks good now? How I, um, am I going to get enough sleep now? Or am I going to be guided by the blessings to come in the fullness of eternity? And I think that's a question that we should be able to answer very, very quickly when we get through what the Word says. So today we're going to look at the reality of hell, uh, that there is no comfort or escape, and how we can be sure we do not end up there. Okay, so open your Bibles with me firstly. I've got it up on the screen if you don't have one to Luke chapter 8 and verse 9 to 10. On the screen I have it out of the Amplified because uh, this is a good, good way of reading Scripture sometimes, is to challenge yourself and to expound on the Word so that you can get the concepts. So let me read this to you. And when his disciples asked him the meaning of this parable, he said to them, To you it has been given to come progressively to know, to recognize and understand more strongly and clearly the mysteries and secrets of the kingdom of God. We'll get an amen on that. You as the disciples, as the followers of Jesus, it has been given to understand the parables that Jesus has been given, the mysteries of God, the mysteries of his kingdom. And I think that's fantastic. This is your promise. This is something you can hang on to. Last week I said I'm going to touch on the parable of the sower and today I felt as an introduction it could be a good time to do it. Luke chapter 8 again uh, verses 5 to 8 just prior to that verse we just read. It says, A sower went out to sow his seed. This is Jesus addressing the multitudes. A sower went out to, a, uh, to sow his seed and as he sowed some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it was choked and choked it. And some fell in good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear." Who's got ears today? Yeah, we've got two of them. Yeah, if you've only got one working, then maybe God will open it for you today because he wants you to hear with both ears what he wants to say. Amen. So uh, two ears. Let's listen to today what the Lord has got for us. He continues. We'll jump that first passage that we looked at. Um, He continues in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11 to 15. Jesus gives us the understanding of this parable. He goes aside with his uh, um, disciples and he teaches them what the parable meant. To you it has been given the keys to understand. And he says this, Now the parable is this. 
The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. Verse 14, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold in fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. God is interested in fruit. I heard it once said at one of our conferences that God is an amazing fruit inspector. I think it was Pastor Barry Silverback, actually. And those of you that might know Barry Silverback, he's a pretty tall, strong, solid man in his late late 70s now. And uh, he was doing the whole actions. He's like, God... He's looking, Holy Spirit, he's looking at the the blossoms on the tree, on your tree, and he's smelling the the fragrance of your blossom tree. And then all of a sudden, he's looking inside the blossom and he's looking for the fruit to develop. God is interested in the fruit in your life. And as you see in this parable, Jesus is explaining four separate kinds of people, four different peoples, four responses to the gospel. And and each of us know people like this, and I hope that we would all be people that are hungering to have hearts that are prepared by a good farmer to take the good seed. Amen? And uh, so these four people represented here are those, firstly, who hear the seed. They hear the gospel, but that seed is stolen from them. It never gets a chance to take any root. They hear it. Sometimes they themselves might even reject it. But they, they hear it, but something comes along and snatches it. You see, the enemy, he wants to snatch that seed because he doesn't want the kingdom of God to, infl- uh, to infiltrate and, and take over anyone's life. He wants to take as many people with him to destruction as he can. Okay, So these are the people that have it stolen from them. The, the seed that falls along the wayside is trampled underfoot. There's so many people in our society that are trampled underfoot, aren't they? The enemy is just, just hitting them with everything that he can until eventually they either give up on life or they give up on life completely. And that's a sad thing. So, then there are those with a stony heart who receive the word with joy as the gospel takes root. But you, you've ever walked up Scenic Hill and walked along the rocks and you just see that fine layer of dirt? on topsoil on the top of the rocks. You see grass and things growing in there, don't you? Sometimes you could see even a tree sprouting in that layer of soil. But there's no root. And when the wind comes, that tree falls over, doesn't it? Or that bush might never have good solid root. Or when it gets into a period of drought, and we've gone through a dry period, those trees, they really start to struggle. This here is the people who receive it with joy... And they shoot off really quickly because there's that level of moisture. And they know they've got to get growing as fast as they can. But something happens along their way and they dry out. Their root shrivels. 
What that means is they never hang on to the deep truths of Jesus. And in fact, they come to a state in their life where they reject God. The the Bible uses the term, it actually doesn't use the word itself, but the writer of Hebrews talks about it and throughout Old Testament they talk about it, the word apostasy. Okay, That's the word of actually turning away from your faith. That's what the hard heart does. And I talked about the hard heart last week. It, it, the root of the kingdom can't penetrate it enough that it would bring the fullness of fruit of salvation into their life. This is what Jesus is talking about. And they actually perish. Their, their tree withers. So that means that they perish with it. And um, that's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? There are many like this in Australia who have come to a very um, limited understanding. In fact, sometimes the church has done the wrong thing. Sometimes we've taught people, and this is a church overall, it's a general statement. Sometimes we've taught people to just get out there and share the gospel and lead them in a prayer and everything's going to be okay. That's not the gospel. Jesus told us to go out and make disciples. He didn't tell us to go out and make converts. We actually do them a disservice if we just lead them in a prayer. We give them a false confidence. These are the people that their roots, they will struggle with the, with, without, a lack of, without moisture. Jesus is the living word. He's living water. They need the living water of Jesus so that they would continue to thrive. Does that make sense? Then there's the last two. Those whose seed is in the ground, but they've been, it's been planted with weeds and tares. It's been planted with, with thorns. It's, and the thorns of this life, they grow up and they choke out the life of the kingdom in people's lives. I actually believe this, these people are people who were saved. But what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, they're ones that kind of sneak through the fire as of, with the skin of their teeth. They sort of they're saved, but they have no reward. They have no um, they have no, nothing to look forward to in the kingdom except the fact that they are saved, and and that's amazing. Don't don't get me wrong, but the the cares and the concerns of this life is what Jesus talks about. These particular thorns are they are the things of this world that choke us out. Yeah, so. I'm not content with people being choked with weeds. I actually want to get in there and cut the weeds out. Okay? Um, uh, Sometimes you can get in and you can hack weeds and your garden looks really, really nice, doesn't it? Yeah? So so the Word of God, that's what it's for. When you come to church, you're getting, I suppose, um, a nice makeover in your garden when the Word of God hits those areas and... um, and, and cuts. And I know some of you are thinking, I need to get into my garden and make my garden look good. But it's so good that you're here today with us. Amen? Because God's word needs to come first. And then there's those who the seed falls in good soil. Amen? Have you got good soil? Do you want good soil? Yeah? The Holy Spirit prepares your heart to be good soil. Only He can make it good soil with, in partnership with you. You can't get that wrong. Okay? You've got to first invite him to make you good soil. All right? You can't make it good soil on your own. You have to do it in partnership with the Holy Spirit. All right? He's like the, the fertilizer that they go and they inject, you know, the nitrogen that they put in before they put the wheat or the, or the canola in the ground. He comes in and he makes it so that the seed will take and germinate fantastically. Amen? So that's just sort of a way of introduction, that parable, because it's really good to understand that that parable 
explains a lot to us. And if we skip over it, then we can look at people thinking that there is a false, or that, that they're secure in Christ, but really there's a false hope because they may have just put their, their hopes in a prayer and not actually in Jesus. They've, they may have called out to Jesus and said, I want you to save me from my sin, but they've never fully come to the place of saying, you are my Lord and I'm going to follow you with an obedient heart. That's the soft soil is the obedient heart. Amen. So we need to determine in our hearts that we're going to be people who produce good fruit for the kingdom of God. Amen? I want to produce great fruit, and I want us as a church to do the same. Turn over to Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 2. We looked at this real quickly last week, but again, out of the Amplified Version This is an elementary teaching. Let me say this. Therefore, let us go on and get past the elementary stage in the teachings and doctrines of Christ, the Messiah, advancing steadily towards the completeness and perfection that belong to spiritual maturity. Let us not again be laying the foundation of repentance and abandonment of dead works or dead formalism and of the faith by which you turned to God with teachings about purifying, so that's baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and lastly, eternal judgments and punishments. These are all matters of which you should have been fully aware long, long ago. These are the the elementary teachings, the foundational teachings that the writer of Hebrews was telling these people, you should know these things. I shouldn't have to come back in here and tell you these things. These should be that which is the foundation of which you should now be teachers in your own right. He says later on, he says, but I have to give you milk instead of meat. Doesn't he? He says that. Well, he or she. I don't even know if it's a lady that wrote this. I sometimes believe it was. Okay. Um, They don't say it. They tell us that this is what we need to be aware of. These are our elementary teachings. When you think of America, what do they call their primary schools in America? They call it elementary school. Why is it elementary school? Because they teach the foundational truths of that which is going to help them become lifelong learners. Reading, writing, literacy, um, mathematics, all of the foundational principles need to be put in place at elementary school or in our case, primary school, so that we can become lifelong learners, knowing how to adapt, knowing how to learn, knowing how to grow and become great citizens within our community. Well, this is an elementary teaching for us. If we don't understand eternal punishment or eternal judgment, then we don't understand who God is and we'll never understand or balance out the love of God. You see, God is love, but it gets used all the time in the wrong context. God won't judge me because he loves me. Wrong. God is just as just as much as he is love. Okay, so we've got to understand if we understand these foundational principles that helps us formulate our, our understanding and our framework around who God is. And therefore, we understand when God is love, we understand what that means, because a loving father or a loving mother, those who love will actually bring discipline and, and correction to their children. And if they don't, then really they're just letting them find their own way. We can't let 
ourselves find our own way when we've got the instruction booklet to teach us God's way. Okay, So these are elementary teachings. They're fundamental, foundational to us. Can you imagine building your education without the foundational teachings that you learnt in primary school? If you couldn't read, would you have been able to to go to high school or into uni or um, into the job workforce that you can today? Absolutely not. What if you put the context and you change the context? Could you build a house that has no foundation? You actually can. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. You can build a house without a foundation. It's just you'd be very foolish. The foolish man builds upon the sand. The wise man builds upon the rock. Because when the storm comes, when the seas rise, when it's battered by the rain, that which is built upon sand will shift and move and become utter destruction. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about hell. It's the same context. Those who build without a foundation build a place that is foolish and he promises that the rain and the winds will come. Who's been through testing in their faith? Okay, God is a good God, is he not? He comes through in every promise. Well, in Matthew chapter 6, he promises that the storms and tribulations will come. Because he wants to test the foundation that you will be shown as strong and faithful so that you would be able to produce good fruit. Amen? That's why they come. I am just so thankful that when they come, if we have been taught right, what we learn to do is we learn to find the spirit of grace in every circumstance. In every trial, in every situation you go through, no matter what it is, whether it's sickness, whether it's financial, whether it's a job, whether it's a persecution, there is always the Spirit of grace. His name is the Holy Spirit who is an enabling presence in that moment to give you the gift that you need to overcome. When we can take our eyes off the storm and look to God, we discover who that is. Amen? So these are elementary foundational teachings. I want a good foundation. As we lead into this next bit, I give you that foundation because I don't want you to come through this next period thinking, what's the point? I I just should walk away. It's all too hard. Because there's going to be some challenges throughout the next few weeks. It's not all too hard. Jesus actually promises to those who overcome, it will be given to You have to overcome. We sang about that today. He's overcome so that we could overcome. Amen? So hell itself, it's figurative or is it real? Go back. Go back. Is hell figurative or is it real? There are some in the church today that are teaching that it's just, um, that it's not there. Okay? This has gone throughout history. The churches, they're so scared to teach about God in this context, but we have just understood that it is an elementary teaching. So we must teach on it so that we are secure knowing who we are. How does one communicate to a generation who lives for the day the reality of eternal decisions that will shortly be made about our lives by the judge of the universe? 
It's a question we have to ask. For, for those in the generation mine and above, we've sort of had those challenges. But the generations below us, the generation sort of this generation here, um, the generation that's out the back, they, they kind of live for today, don't they? You know, money is easy come, easy go. They live for the day. They, they, as long as it feels good, they're going to do it. That's why we have such a big problem with drugs because they feel, they feel like they need an escape and for the first or second time they use it, they actually feel good. They might feel horrible after, but they feel good and they want that euphoria kind of experience. And Mike Barrett was here last year and he actually said, you might remember, there's, there's no high like the most high. And that came from an ex-drug addict. Okay, So we've got to get this concept that People are trying to fill the void of Jesus in their life with substance abuse. They live for today, but it's gone tomorrow. And, and that's a ploy of the devil. So within this book is three chapters written to give us a concept or a parable, an, an analogy or a, a type. It's called the city of Aphabel um, or the story of Aphabel. It's, it's, it's sort of a picture of... Um, heaven, the kingdom, and things like that. I just got a really quick video to show you because what I feel, we're not going to be able to communicate this throughout the messages, but I feel that I want to make a, a space available where those who want to can come to church and hear this. Um, it's a dramatized um, audio. And they went to, John Bevere went to LA, they went to Hollywood and got it dramatized. And let me say, I've had nothing impact me so much on the judgment here than sitting down and listening to this story. It's a three-part story, and um, I've just got to pick the right week. I think it would most probably be the last week of doing this series. But after church, after we've had our lunch and things like that, I just want to make a space available where people can just come and sit, where we can go through it and we can listen, and maybe break up into groups at the end and just at the end of each segment and just talk about it because it's so impactful. So let me just show you this really quickly. Um, it should play. No. Can you guys just hit play on that? Because it's got to hit the YouTube button. This is like your... Um, this is like your... Um, ad break. Yeah, I saw someone pick up and go to the toilet, so they got, they got the gist. This was the ad break. Um, Sorry, I didn't test this beforehand because it was a last-minute thought this morning. But it's the, the, the story of Aphabel. Um, I've listened to this through twice um, recently. I listened to it in the car, and every time I picked one of the boys up, because I do a lot of driving, I picked one of my boys up. I'm just in tears, and they're like, Dad, what's wrong? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. I'm just listening to the CD. So they got a little bit of it, and they got home, and they were kind of like, wow, that, that, that was really powerful. So then we went over to Narendra for a short break earlier on in the year, and, and I wanted my wife to hear it, so I had a captive audience, so I plugged the CDs into the car, and she got to hear it. And we're just like, ooh, in the car crying. And, and um, it's just so impactful. So... Um, if we can't do it, guys, it's all right. We'll play it another time. Uh, maybe at the end of the service, it'll be all right. Or have you got it? Oh, here we go. And play. Yeah, that's the one. We got there. I had a rest. I had a break. 
Come on, Wi-Fi. It's all right, you can laugh at me. Is the green button on, the green light. Yes! Oh, no. I will get really excited if it plays, okay? It worked at home. It worked fine. Oh, it's downloading. Ooh, there, yeah, here we go. Get some sound up. Are your judgments. Five friends gather around a campfire. I have found that Jalen is a king of great grace. I thoroughly enjoy learning about Jalen. All have been taught, but not all are the same. I don't believe in Jalen. What? No. You all are the fools. Their choices now will determine their destiny forever. Now we come to the end. One night, they came. Where are you taking us? To the city of Aphabel. It's glorious. Or the forsaken land of love. One king will decide. I am he who searches the inmost Theater starring John Reese Davis from The Lord of the Rings, Aphabel, Window of Eternity. All will be revealed in time. Hmm. See? So it's been dramatized for effect. So you could get the book and read it, but that's kind of boring. Or you could just come and listen here at church and spend it as together and, and, and we can break up into small groups and just debrief it together because I think that would be pretty awesome. What do you reckon? I reckon it would be. So I'll let you know next week that it's going to be the last week. So four weeks from now, we'll book it in and we'll make it work and, um, and I'm going to have fun. Whether or not you have fun, I will. Um, I'll probably cry again, but that's okay. Um, so Aphabel, it really gives us the concepts of what we're thinking and and when you sit down, and, and like I said, it's an analogy or a parable. So um, the characters represent other, the real characters. So Jalen represents Jesus and, and the great father represents God. And, but when you hear Jalen speak and you just sense, because he, 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 he only uses the word when he speaks. It's just like, whoa, bang, that, that hit me right there. And, and you know that when you stand before him at the judgment, he's only going to use the word because I said last week, this is the measure by which we mark our life against. Amen. So get, get, got to keep moving. Hell, figurative or real. Um, and you saw there, there was um, Aphabel, which represented the great city and um, this, the, the forsaken land of Lone. Um, no one wants to go there. And that's just what the analogy is, let alone what hell actually is. So let's get into this. Um, an allegory is like a parable. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, I think I got it here, yes. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 to 14, enter the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. That word destruction is the word um, that, 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 that leads to hell, okay? And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Okay, so on the outset, Jesus starts talking and he starts giving principles and analogies and parables and things. He's already got this concept that many are going to the way of destruction and few find it the way of life. 
But I know his heart is that all would find the way of life. The Bible's clear. God wishes none would perish. That word perish is the same word as destruction. The God would want none to perish. If God wants none to perish, that's how he sent or why he sent Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the way. There's one way into the kingdom of God. The way into the kingdom is narrow. It's one way. There isn't a thousand others. Not all roads lead to the kingdom. His name is Jesus. When you enter in by the way, then you step into the vastness of the kingdom. But it's one and it's narrow. And if we don't come to him, then we will never, ever, ever understand it. Few and many. Um, it speaks about this reality. Uh, Bavir himself uh, talks of a time that he visited a maximum security prison in South uh, Africa. Sorry for the South Africans that are here. I'm going to rag on your um, prison system for a moment. Um, it's one place that I would definitely not want to go. It's not um, a, a, a holiday location in the Caribbean. Um, okay, so he, he said he went into this prison and um, there were 30 people in the cell. The beds were inches apart, bunk beds. Um, he said the smell was horrific um it was a male all-male prison he got the chance to share the gospel there he said but what one of the things that really stood out to him was that there were packets of condoms hanging all over the walls for people to use um so you could sense this reality of what he's saying that this place was just utter hopelessness this prison and this was a maximum security prison everyone was in there for life so they had no hope of getting out. Their only hope of getting out was death. Okay, so you can imagine the understanding that he had. And it gave him this concept when he was writing Aphabel about this place of the land of forsaken loan. And, but he said, at least with this prison, there is still hope because the hope is death. When, when you look at the concept of hell, for anyone that's sent there, there is no hope. It is utterly hopeless. There is no other death that would see them like a prison get out. It is an eternal judgment that these people are in. And I wanted to just share that story because it gives us this concept. We can, un we can all think of a prison, can't we? We've all seen the movies. We can all think of a prison. We can all think of these things and we can say, wow, okay, um, I can understand the concepts of what's going on. But when we start thinking about this place called hell, we don't quite grasp the severity of it, other than its utter despair and its utter hopelessness. Um, and that's really, really heartbreaking. At least one day they will get out. Because this is an elementary teaching, Jesus discussed hell frequently Actually, he, he, he discussed it a lot more than we hear it in pulpits today. We, he actually discussed hell a lot more sometimes than he did um, paradise, which for me is a little bit disturbing, but that's okay. Jesus didn't um, see bringing up the description of torment in, and the torment involved as an unloving principle. That's something we've got to actually understand. Jesus brings everything up, everything that he teaches, everything that he does was brought with compassion. He does it out of a basis or a foundation of love. And that's why he talked on it. So really, the argument to say, well, if you talk about hell, then you're unloving is really debunked. Because Jesus did, and therefore, we can't say Jesus was unloving. Um, it's really the fact that he's a good shepherd. Amen? So the name's given to hell really um we see here 
there's the two names, Sheol and Hades. This is what we find in Scripture and uh, the grave. So Sheol is the Old Testament word. Hades is the New Testament word. Um, and we often translate it the grave today. It's really this place that's... Uh, um, I'll go there for the next one. Then you see also in Scripture these words, Gehenna, uh, Lake of Fire. Um, and this is their description. Really, the first three grouped together there is the immediate sorry, intermediate chamber of death. So it's the holding place. It's the place that the soul would go waiting for the judgment. Okay, this is the Old Testament version, and then you see it in the New Testament, Hades. Jesus talks about them, um, that place. The next one, the two words, Gehenna or Lake of Fire, is the second death, or another way of saying it is the eternal punishment. So I'm going to kind of use these terms and words so that you, can, so you don't get lost. If I'm talking about um, the lake of fire, I'm talking about the second death, the eternal punishment. If I'm talking about Hades or the grave or Sheol, then you know I'm talking about the holding place. Does that make sense? Um, so that we can understand. This is a real place. And I've got to get through this really quickly because I just looked at the time and went, oh my gosh, where did that go? Um, is it all right? I can finish. But then I haven't spoken about it. And I feel torn. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've got to keep going from Vicky. All right, I'm going. Um, uh, number 16. Um, go back and read it another time. But uh, the three families were swallowed up um, into a physical Sheol. Okay? Uh, they were punished. But the earth actually opened up. And the three families were consumed and buried alive. The word there is used Sheol, if you go back into the text and have a look. Um, it's talking about the holding place. So they suffered a judgment. They lost their life, but they were taken to Sheol. Okay, that's the intermediate chamber of death. In Revelation 19 and verse 20, the Antichrist and false prophet are hurled alive into the fiery lake. We're talking now about the second death, the eternal punishment. Not death, then their souls, but their physical bodies and souls were cast there also. So the concept of the lake of fire is not just that your soul's going to go there and your soul's going to suffer torment. It's actually your soul and that which would have been your resurrected body is going to go there. Now that's that there is not a cool concept, is it? When you think about that, and it says there in Scripture that the Antichrist and the false prophet are hurled alive into the fiery lake. That, to me, is not cool. But obviously it's hot. Anyway, um, move on. Gehenna, okay? Gehenna um, is that place, all right? Uh, Revelation 20 and verse 15. Uh, I think I've missed a bit. Can I go back? Okay, that'll do. Lazarus. Everyone knows the name Lazarus. Um, Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. Jesus talks about Lazarus in a story. He says this, and I'll get through this real quickly. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed uh, sumptuously every day. So he was rich and he, he lived that way. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, uh, who was laid at the rich man's gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So you can understand the situation. So it was that the beggar died and was carried to the 
by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is the concept of Sheol or Hades or the grave. Okay, it's the holding place. So the angels carried him there. Okay, and the rich man died and was buried. Uh, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. It's Jesus saying this story, by the way. I'm tormented by this flame. But uh, Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send to my father's house, or send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Okay. Luke 16 records Jesus telling of an actual incident. Because what parable does Jesus name names? There is not one parable recorded in history that Jesus used that he has named particular names. There's not one where he is named a certain place. He's named right here a certain place, Gehenna. Oh, sorry, Sheol. There's not one parable that Jesus has used. So how can we put this into a parable? This is actually Jesus describing an event. Okay. Jesus as the son of God, as God himself, describing something that has already probably taken place. These people would have understand it from this context. Okay. Uh, He's named both Lazarus and Abraham. All right. Normally he, he says a certain man or a certain rich ruler or um, goes off to a far land or something like that when he's using an analogy. Um, the customary uh, rich man who we find here in great suffering. All right. It, what did the actual word say? Being in torments. Okay. Not one torment, being in torments. Um, very much a very much human in the grave okay very much in torments recognized he recognized other people right although he felt alone around him and didn't see anyone in his particular instance he looked through the gulf or the chasm and he could see abraham and he noticed and recognized lazarus okay so he saw people and knew them okay so very much human um he needed relief for his tongue because it was so hot, he was on fire. He needed relief for his tongue. So again, a real place that had real torments that he needed relief from. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, he recognized others. He needed relief. And we got this story and there's this gulf that separates him. Now this is pre this is pre-judgment place. This is, this is the holding place. This is what the concept of the Jewish people had and Jesus was teaching into. And yet we see here those who were judged by the fruit of their life were suffering torment. 
even prior to judgment. That's, that's a harsh thing. Jesus says in Matthew 28, hopefully this one's up here. No, it's not. So I've got to open my Bible. I'm trying to be quick for you. Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That word hell there is the word Gehenna. Okay? That's that second death eternal punishment place that we're talking about. Okay? So here we are. We're back at that place last week where we were fearing God. Okay? Because he can judge both the living and the dead. And he's able to destroy within hell. We're all on the right track. We're understanding. Revelation 20, 11 to 15. We see this. Uh, Revelation 21, 7 to 8. We see this. And Revelation 2, 10 to 11. We can see this. And I'll read one of them for you. Hell or Gehenna, the lake of fire, is the second death. There's a never-ending punishment. Revelation 20, 11 to 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. The death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, that's Gehenna. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, again, Revelation 21, 7 to 8. Everyone who conquers will inherit all these blessings. Hallelujah, we got to a blessing point. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Say amen for that. But, verse 8, cowards who turn back from following me and those who are unfaithful to me and the corrupt and the murderers and the immoral and those conversing with demons and idol worshippers and all liars. Their doom is in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. This is that place I'm talking about, Gehenna. See, Jesus is teaching on these things, and then he's showing John through a revelation. Uh, revelation uh, 2, 10 to 11 says, Do not fear. Oh, I'll go back one thing. Sulfur. Sulfur in that 21, 7 to 8 passage. Sulfur is a non-metallic substance that burns with intense heat. Okay? But it's also the only smell in the entire creation that the human nose can never stand. You'll never get used to the smell of sulfur. And scriptures using this 2,000 years ago, and we can understand it scientifically today. It's the only smell that the human sense can never get to used to. Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, he writes this to a church, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Right, there's that promise of suffering again. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. No, not happening here. That you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Hear the words there, be faithful unto death. Come through the challenge. Come through the trial. Over 
come and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, we've all got two of them. We said that at the start, yeah? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I've got a couple of amens then. Come on, I think we need a whole church full of amens there. I'm not going to be hurt by the second death. In teaching on the final judgment, Jesus says in Matthew 25 and verse 46, if you're writing notes, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So hell's not a final place. It's not the last death where it's done. It's not like wiped away. It is an everlasting punishment that Jesus writes. Jesus says that. It's an everlasting punishment. We talked about eternity last week being an everlasting concept. It's well and good that we have this concept in our mind that we can live in the glory of God forever. But what about the people who are going to an everlasting punishment? And that's no good now. What about the people who are going to the everlasting punishment? Who is contending for these people? That's the fruit Jesus is looking for on your account on my account not that we turned up to church on time not that we could sing in time with the worship leader he is looking for fruit which is people coming into the kingdom being told the gospel if you want to know what it is to live in eternal blessing with the enter into your reward It comes to you being fruitful with what God has given you. And being fruitful with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the good thing. Hell is not meant for humanity. Hell was never ever designed for human beings to go there. It was always designed for the tempter himself, Satan and those who followed him. Matthew 25, 41, Then he who also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. It was prepared for him. This is what wrecks me when I read this. Is my life building for the eternal by sharing the full gospel with people that they would be transformed and that they too would share the gospel with other people? This is where you and I are to step in. As we know the truth like our Father, we should be motivated with compassion. Amen? When you teach, when I teach, what I've discovered, when I teach on hell, or when you hear a message on hell, it should motivate the love of God in you to get out of your seats and go and share God with someone. If it doesn't, then you need a rocket on your seat. Because that's what hell is for, is to inspire us in such a way that we would be moved with the compassion of God and share the love of God with our neighbors and friends. Because what hope do they have? Right here, I've shown you, they are going to an everlasting punishment. They will be going with flesh. They will know that they are being tormented. I could show you even more scriptures of what happens to these people, but it is too gruesome. 
Jesus actually says that they'll be devoured by an undying worm. We, got, we, know, when, we know when the body's put into the grave that, that the bugs and the worms, and they, they eat all the flesh and then they die. But it's an undying worm. That, that grips me to think, what is my neighbor going through? They might be going through hell on earth, but they don't. But, but God wants to reach them so they don't go through an eternal hell. Does it motivate us with a passion to reach out? Can we think for just a moment what it is forever and ever? And this is my conclusion today. And then we'll go into communion. Can we think just for a moment what forever and ever is? Can you ever comprehend the never ending? You cannot do it mentally, but in your hearts, you can. It's not good enough that you are saved and therefore you shut up shop. You're saved for a purpose. You're saved to reach another group of people who are not saved. God lamented over an entire generation who wouldn't listen to him. I don't want God to lament over us. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. God lamented over them. There's that word again, forever. If only the people were motivated by that which endures. If only our people were driven by eternity. See, if eternity grips our heart, it would transform your outlook on life. God hasn't called you to a comfortable life in this world. He's called you for an eternal significance with him. He's called you to rule and reign with him in glory. And when we get into the next few weeks and we look at the judgment seat and how the non-Christians and the Christians will be judged, you're going to sit back and you're going to say, wow, if only I had known this 10 years ago. If only I had known this when I first came to Christ. But the beauty is this. God is a God of grace. He's a God of eternal forgiveness. He's a God that will set you free when you repent to him. Tash, can you come? I'm going to invite our ushers to service this morning. Because it's not good enough to finish there, is it? It's not good enough to finish a message on hell without telling you the way of escape. It's not good enough. And Jesus deserves the full glory that he has won for you. I invite you as the ushers come, as you receive your, your emblems, I want you to stand. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes.
not just close yourself, open your hearts, but close your eyes. Thank you, Lord. I'm not suggesting to anyone that they scare people into the kingdom. But the reality is, it's supposed to scare us into following God's will for our life. Don't use hell to scare the non-believer. The concept of hell, if you understand it maturely, is really about motivating us to share with them the gospel and that they would find their hope. If they reject it, then that's on them. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected God. Amen. Today, Jesus demonstrated his goodness here this morning praying with a family Jesus demonstrated his goodness with another lady whose shoulder was healed Jesus demonstrated his goodness ultimately by dying upon a cross if you want to know what to tell people you want to tell them that Jesus loves them and that he loves you and he demonstrated it by walking to that cross You can be sure 100% today, leaving this church, that you are without a shadow of a doubt, saved, loved, and brought into the presence of the kingdom of God from this moment forward. You can be sure because Jesus himself was nailed to that cross so that he would die in your place. See, Romans says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us deserve that place called Gehenna. Every one of us deserve that place called the lake of fire. Every one of us deserve to be eternally punished for the wrong that we did. In fact, if I thought about what I had done wrong, I would weep before you right now. So I can't go there because I know it's covered in the blood of Jesus. I can't see it because it is, it is covered with the blood of Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life to those who believe. What do we believe in? That Jesus, the begotten of God, came 100% man, 100% God. You see, the reason he had to be born of God was if he was born after a human being, after a man, then the sin of man would have been on his life. Sin was passed down from man through to the child. It's the accountability of God right there. Jesus had to be born of God so he would be born righteous and holy and without blame. You see, this is the goodness of God. You and I, we deserve death, but He took it upon Himself. The righteous dying for the unrighteous. The holy in the place of the unholy. Jesus Himself took upon Himself your punishment and set you free. 
the key to everlasting life, the key to coming before God as your Father, is not your good works. It is by grace and grace alone. It is through faith that you accept in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and your Lord. You can't come to the Father any other way. Remember I said the gate is narrow, the way the, the way is narrow, the gate itself is even more narrow. His name is Jesus. Do you want to be sure this morning in your hands you hold the blood of Jesus that was shed for the remission of your sin? You hold the body of Christ which was broken for your wholeness. Only in Calvary will you find peace with God. You won't find it in a world that He designed for you to live in. You will only find it in His Son, Jesus Christ. Today, with your eyes bowed, I just want to one look around. If you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord today for the first time, would you raise your hands? Just before the Lord. It's not before anyone else. It's before the Lord. If you want to make Jesus your Lord, if you want a secure place of hope, a way out of that place, then just raise your hands before the Lord and say, Today, I submit myself to you. Thank you, Lord. This is the hope that we have. This is the hope that you take into the world. Jesus, I thank you for your body that was shed for me. I thank you for your body that was whipped and scourged, that was beaten and nailed to that tree. You became a curse for me, Jesus, that I would be free of the curse of death. Jesus, right here, right now, I thank you for your body. And as I take the bread, I take with thanksgiving in my mouth, in my heart, I say, Lord, have your way. Teach me to live with an eternal focus. Let us eat in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for your wholeness. Lord God, I thank you that you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross, the sacrificial lamb for us. Make that personal. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you that you shed your blood for me, that your blood was enough once and for all to forgive me of every unrighteousness and every sin. I pray now that you would wash and cleanse my life. Forgive me of all unrighteousness and make me a new creation that I would walk after you. Let us drink and be thankful today for what Jesus has paid for for you. Jesus. Hallelujah. You may take your seats. Guys, it starts here. 
It starts here. It starts in this place that God would move you in such a way that you would go and do what He's asked each of us to do. Can we make a commitment today? Can you, can you, before you leave today, talk to someone and make yourself accountable to them and say, you know, I want to serve God and I want to be obedient in everything that He's called me to be. Do you think we can do that? That's a challenge I want to leave with you. Can you tell someone before you leave today, please keep me accountable. I want to be obedient to God. Amen.